Aloha Kako, you're listening to Native Stories. Native Stories exist to share the voices of those connected to the land, and Native Stories' vision is creating a resource for pilina or connection to place. Native Stories aims to activate Indigenous perspectives. Ovao Nanea Loko Inoa, no Papukulea Wahumayao, noho Aoma, Texas. I am Nanea Lo, and I come from Papukulea Wahu, now residing in Texas. Uh, mahalo nui to all of you for joining us on another episode of Native Stories. And today we have um, Stephen Hernandez, and I met Stephen through Wa- Rob Kajiwara. And Stephen has been a great support system for me. So he aims to support excellent people and organizations who serve a higher good. This has led to his professional commitment to build the capacity of nonprofits and foundations through more effective programming, communications, and uh, communications fund development, HR practices, and evaluation. Stephen collects and shares his nonprofit knowledge through his YouTube channel, Stephen Hernandez Nonprofit Fundamentals, you can search. In addition, as his career truly began at a nonprofit um, which focused on healthy relationships, he travels the country delivering workshops and seminars to singles and couples to help them have the best relationships they can. Stephen also devotes some of his YouTube channel to delivering relationship content and loves to matchmake people, including me. He has over 10 years experience in philanthropy, communications, program management, community outreach, and all aspects of fund development with intensive experience in group facilitation and public speaking. He is on YouTube and created the channel, like I said, Stephen Hernandez Nonprofit Fundamentals, and it's designed to be an information hub where he shares information, collaborations, and best practices for the nonprofit community but in particular, but also for anybody who wants to improve on their organization. Here is Steven Hernandez. Hello, Steven. <laughs> Good morning. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, can you share where you are uh, interviewing from? Uh, I am physically located in uh, Dearborn, which is a suburb of Detroit and Michigan. Uh, more specifically, I'm in my home office because we're all under quarantine right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So are you from um, Detroit? Uh, born and raised in Michigan. So I spent the first five years of my life in Detroit. Uh, moved around uh, throughout the state um, uh, for various jobs. But I've been in Southeast Michigan all my life. So can you share with our listeners kind of, yeah, what's your current role that you do and how, um, I guess, you as a Native person has like affected what you do? So uh, my day job, uh, with its unnecessarily long title, is uh, <laughs> Compliance Specialist. Uh, uh, actually, the, the, my full title will be uh, Community Reinvestment Act Compliance Specialist, which means uh, that uh, essentially my job is like one-third corporate grant making. So I review the grants and sponsorships that come in for our bank. Um, I, work, I work for a large, medium-sized bank. Um, one-third corporate volunteerism, so uh, setting up events, for our staff to volunteer into the community, uh, one third compliance. Uh, so making sure that we're ad- the bank itself as a whole is adhering to the community re- uh, the CRA Act, which is a, a, a regulations that all banks of our size must adhere to, uh, and then a third one third special projects. 
and I recognize that that equals more than a whole. <laughs> that's, the, that's the nature of my job is that like it's supposed to be that way. But like, you know, uh, depending on what fire needs to be put out during the week, uh, that's what I do. So it's uh, grant making, corporate grant making, corporate volunteerism and compliance. So that's my day job. Uh, uh, my side job, if you will, or what I do like when I'm not nine to five, um, I do marriage and relationship education work. So I travel the country usually about once, once or twice a quarter. Um, I travel around the country. I primarily do singles workshops. Um, so I'll, 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 because I'm a trained marriage educator. So I'm not a therapist or a counselor, but I'm trained in a number of marriage uh, uh, education programs that really focus on uh, communications and conflict resolution. So I do uh, workshops for singles, for people who are engaged, for people who are starting like to think about like, okay, I want to get serious about finding a partner. So I do that around the country, and uh, as you mentioned, I'm, I match pink. I match make people too out of that, or I do some couples work too that comes out of that. And whenever I, I have time, I try to do YouTube videos about marriage and relationships and/or nonprofit work. All of that is super, super interesting. Um, so, like, how did you even get into those roles in general, or get interested in yeah philanthropy and? Yeah, helping people with their relationships. Right. So uh, uh, I hope this is an interesting story. So um, many moons ago, so uh, right out of college, um, so this was like 06, oh, no, this is like 04, 05. Right out of college, I did um, uh, political campaign work. Now, I know you're an organizer yourself, so I think maybe uh, you can relate to this. So I did, I did campaign, I did campaign politics, you know, like for state and local races. And so even back then, um, when it was about like a candidate, it was really a lot more about like tearing down another person rather than building something. So uh, I was much more of a campaign organizer rather than a community organizer. And so I found that work to be great in terms of skills building, but the actual, uh, I guess, politics, if you will, of it, I, I, I found it very soul crushing. I, I didn't like the um, how it was so uh, impermanent. Like I said, it was about building uh, it was not about building community it was not about building power it was about tearing down another person or an idea and i didn't like that so uh after working a statewide campaign i was kind of burned out on that so this was february of 27 uh, 2007 so i had all these skills now i I knew how to phone bank i knew how to Mm -hmm. do a a big public event i knew how to set up a uh like a facilitated workshop big or small do media for uh community leaders you know, really kind of go into a community and, you know, get connected quickly and really mobilize people. So I had all these skills, but I didn't want to use them in a way that I didn't find fulfilling anymore. So a phrase you're going you're gonna to hear me use ad nauseum today is, uh, wasn't filling my bucket. So again, back in the day, uh, I opened up Craigslist. So this is the first time I used Craigslist. Uh, this is more than, more than a decade ago. And I found this organization called the Marriage, uh, the Marriage Resource Center. And they were, uh, they had just become a recipient of a very large federal grant. And for like a lot of nonprofits, they, you know, they got, they got the big grant, right? Like they were the small organization that had teamed up with two other small organizations throughout Michigan. And they had collectively applied for this big, big federal grant and they got it. So that's amazing. Right. But like a lot of nonprofits, they were big on passion. They were big on excitement for their thing. But they didn't have kind of boots on the ground, you know, community experience. Like mm-hmm. they, they were more kind of in their heads. So they didn't have someone who could phone bank. They didn't have someone 
who could go out into the community. And that's what they were hiring for. So I applied for the job. And on paper, I had all the experience that they needed, but they're like, why would you want to do this? Like, this is not politically related at all. I'm like, I know. That's, and during the interview, I was like, I know. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to use those, my skills in a different way. So uh, as I mentioned in my bio, the marriage and relationship nonprofit was how I got started in nonprofit. So that's kind of always been my background. And I, I was promoted multiple times within the organization. You know, when I had the opportunity to learn about grant writing, I took it. When I had the opportunity to take the classes, to take the trainings, to d- deliver the marriage and relationship uh, work myself, I, I, I did that too. Um, I myself, uh, I'm in a cross-cultural relationship. And so that was something that I personally struggled with in terms of, you know, being able to marry the person that I wanted to marry. So that's a very personal issue to me. And I was with that organization for a number of years, and then eventually, and on this note, uh, a I was an early adopter of of LinkedIn. And uh, for those of you who are listening, please get on LinkedIn. It's a good, good website, especially right now. And this recruiter contacted me, and this is a uh, this is still fairly early on in my LinkedIn career. And she reached out to me with this like amazing opportunity. It was like three or four times the money I had ever made. And it was like nine months out of the year, we're in Detroit and like another one one or two or whatnot. We're like in Italy putting together like this amazing conference and it sounded fantastic. And I sent her a very rude response because I thought it was some kind of bot or thought it was some kind of scam. And she wrote back to me. She's like, nope, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry if I came off like a fake. My name is Amy. This is the, this is the headhunter agency. This is the recruitment agency I work for. She worked for a very high level nonprofit foundation um, headhunter firm. She's like, I'm a real person. This is where I work. You can you can check up on me. And like I would like to talk to you about this job. And I did. And then I apologized for being rude to her. <laughs> and she was the very first person who was like, listen, I looked at your resume. I looked at your LinkedIn profile. Have you ever thought about a career in philanthropy? And she was the very first person who had ever told me that. I'm first generation, right? My father grew up in the village of Mexico. Uh, my dad didn't have running water, didn't have electricity. He didn't see a TV up until he was uh, an adult. Um, so I'm one generation removed from that. I didn't know what a career in nonprofit was. I certainly didn't know that a career in non- philanthropy was a thing. That was just not something that was on my radar. So that woman, Amy, was the very first person who told me, like, listen, you're a man of color, and there's not a lot of guys who do this kind of work. You have all these experiences, and then if you add this, this, and this, in a few years, you will become very attractive as a candidate for uh, these foundations. And the thing that she said to me, and I'll end on this note, is that if you really want to be impactful, especially financially, in the communities that you care about, you should think about a career in philanthropy. Because then you can be in those room, you can be in the room, you can sit at the table where there's uh, where those who have the money and the power are making decisions of what to fund. And then you can have some influence there. And that is something I really took to heart. And it took me about four or five years to kind of get to where I wanted to be in terms of being able to be hired by a foundation or work in philanthropy. But I did follow her advice. And that's, in a nutshell, how my how I got to where I am. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's important for our listeners to hear a story like yours because um, – you know, people or Native people, we grapple with how do we tie together 
the world that we live in and being like, right. yeah, a native indigenous person, um, wanting to do good work and um, really make or be able to create change and help um, yeah, native indigenous peoples and populations that are vulnerable. But, you know, we grapple with how, are, how do we even do that? Right. And how do we do that ethically? And that's, if we have time, I would definitely like to talk about yeah. that as well. And I feel like uh, what gravitated towards me um, to you on Twitter was that I saw that you did philanthropy work, but also that you did reach out to communities on Twitter um, that were people of color, yeah, Native Indigenous folks. And that uh, that's why I, I wanted you to be on this podcast, because... Um, yeah, grant making and kind of us as indigenous and native peoples, we all there you every indigenous and native person knows somebody who works in a nonprofit in some kind mm-hmm. of capacity. And yeah, it's just good to hear the backstory of, you know, people who work in there and philanthropy work and grants and all that kind of stuff. Right. But to that point, uh, while it's true that all of us do know folks who are who are involved in that field, how many of us know people who are, are executives, who are on boards, who are yes, on, you exactly. and I have talked about this offline, you know, mm-hmm. who are in, in a space to make those decisions. And a uh, spoiler alert, uh, the, the, the philanthropy field is by design a very opaque, kind of obscure, like in the very literal sense an old boys club or, you know, or old people's club. I, again, I'm just calling it what it is an old white people's club mm-hmm. with money and privilege. Yes. And depending if it's like a family foundation, <laughs> and I, I make this joke all the time, but it's true. Uh, you know, just for your listeners in a very broad sense, foundations are broken up into corporate foundations. So it's the, the foundation of the company. So every successful company anywhere has 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 a foundation. Seven Eleven has a foundation. The gas station that you go to all the time, I'm sure, has a foundation. So that's from the company itself. They they set aside a portion of their profits. They put it into a foundation. Foundation gives money to the community. Um, there are private foundations, which are kind of like you know, like uh, that that where like a rich family gave a huge gift of money uh, to kind of create a separate entity that has its own independence. But then, like, real old-school philanthropy is family foundations, which is, you know, like, the, you know, uh, whatever, like, if you own, like, a, a mine or <laughs> you own, like, a power company or whatever, whatever extractive thing, usually, it was, the family made a tremendous amount of money, and then they created the foundation, and the family still controls it. So I use the stories when I worked in a more rural part of Michigan when we had to work with this family foundation, you literally had to call the rich old lady. She was like, you know, like Mrs. So-and-so the fourth or whatever, you know, fourth or fifth generation of like whatever a textile mill had started their, their fortune. And I would talk to this old, old lady who lived on a mansion on, on, on a hill. And that's who made the decision. Like that's, it's a very concentrated uh, point of privilege and power. And it's, it's unfortunate that a lot of folks in our community communities are not in the know of how to navigate that. And so, so much of what I do when I'm sharing stuff out there or making my videos is just to kind of try and pull the curtain back. So people understand, you know, how to, how to swim those waters. Yeah. I mean, that's totally important work. I mean, 
navigation and education of systems that, you know, where us as people of color or Native Indigenous people, like, that we're not privy to. Like, I feel like slowly um, the tides are starting to change where we are having more and more people like you that are in these systems, but there can definitely always be more. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you share with our listeners... um, what is philanthropy? One more time. I, I oh, forget sure. if you told them or not. Sure. Th- thank you. That's a good question. And um, so, I think, like anyone, like you know, when you're in something, it's it's something you do, you don't even think about. So, like if I like if I was mechanically inclined, like my dad was, and someone asked me, like, well, how does the car work, or like how do you how do you repair an engine, or what should I do to check to make sure my car is running fine? I could rattle off a bunch of things. Because I work in philanthropy so much, I forget often that it's people don't know. So in a really broad sense, philanthropy is money that's given to communities to produce some kind of social good. So it's specifically, it's almost always, like 99%, given to 501c3s. So legally in the United States, a 501c3 is an organization which has gone to the IRS to request that it receive the 501c3 designation which means the primary purpose of the organization is some kind of charitable good, okay? So many people have charitable organizations, and then you could have, like, you know, your uh, your, uh, uh, your your home for lost lost and lost and hurt turtles, <laughs> for example, you know, like uh, for retired circus turtles, and that could be your own charity, but that's something you're doing out of your house, right? People can donate it, can donate to it, but they can't get a tax write off. You're not a legal organization, but then if you want to incorporate and then go to the IRS and say, like, my organization for retired circus turtles is an organization. I'm going to put my name behind it. I'm going to incorporate it. I'm going to have a board of directors. That's your nonprofit. The philanthropy side of things is the organizations that then fund your organization. And they can be, again, in broad strokes, corporate philanthropy. So that's from a company. A company sets aside a portion of their profits to support their business or our community goals, a family foundation, which is what it sounds like, a rich family sets aside uh, or creates a, a, a separate foundation, an organization for them to manage their charitable gifts, usually in the communities that they care about or for causes that they're interested in, or a private foundation, which is kind of like a mix of the two, which is either a company or a family makes a very large gift to create a separate organization, which is independent from the company and independent from the family to do charitable things again in the communities or, or causes that the or the uh the original donors care about thank you for explaining that because i definitely couldn't have done it <laughs> um so i wanted to talk to you more about like the online realm that you work in so how did you get into making youtube videos that's a great question. So that came out of a time where I was working in a nonprofit and I was very unhappy. It was a very toxic work environment. Uh, it was uh, uh, um, <laughs> it was um, it was a situation where the organization was designed to really share resources and to provide information to our coalition partners. And because of the human flaws at the top of the organization, there was a lot of petty politicking, there was a lot of bad feeling and whatnot, and our executive director didn't want to do that and stopped us from doing that. And so 
just really feeling very frustrated where we could have done so much good, but we were stopped from doing that. I created my YouTube channel just as a creative outlet where it was like, this is a way for us to share this information. And this was shortly after the Great Recession. So a lot of nonprofits were really hurting for money. Um, And so it just came out of that. It came out of wanting to fill my creative bucket where I have all this information in my head. And so many nonprofits just don't know the best one-on-one skills to do. Something I hear all the time is, again, to use your example, of your nonprofit, which serves uh, which serves uh, retired circus turtles. So many people will, will will look up. Okay, what are what are the foundations in my area? And let us fire off a gazillion applications to every every foundation in their area. Well, that's a waste of time because most of them are not going to be animal focused. So you should narrow it down from which which uh, which foundations serve your geographic area first. Two, which ones are actually accepting unsolicited applications? Many foundations won't accept uh, an application site unseen. You have to have some kind of relationship with them or have some kind of communication where they'll be, okay, I like your idea of circus animal, uh, a circus, circus turtle retirement home. Send me an application. Three, you need to narrow it down to do they actually give grants to organizations that primarily serve animals? Four, what are their basic requirements? Do you even meet that? You know, have you been around long enough for them? Do you have, uh, do you have review financial statements? Do you have a board of directors, et cetera, et cetera, on and on and on. What so many nonprofits do is they just shotgun their applications kind of everywhere. And when they get no response or they get nothing but rejections, they become very frustrated and understandably so. It would be like if, you're, if you want to become an actor – uh, you want to get into the showbiz, and you just show up on Hollywood, and you're just like handing everyone your resume out on you know Hollywood Boulevard or, or whatnot. The odds of you getting discovered that way are very, very low. You got You got to know. You got to know what the what the situation is. You got to find a manager. You have to kind of have a basic idea of what your plan is, what your path to becoming a successful actor or becoming a su- successful nonprofit. And so that the the origin and still of my nonprofit videos is just to share basic information for a, for nonprofits to save them time, to save them heartache. Thanks for sharing that. That was very, very informational. Um, and also, do you have a podcast? Sort of. So I just started one. Uh, so I started, people can, uh, people can find me on anchor. So uh, again, as we discussed, uh, editing is definitely not my strong suit. If you see many of my YouTube videos, you can see they're, they're shot on my phone, and I don't really edit them because I don't know how. But uh, a number of people have been pushing me to kind of do a more of a long-form thing. So yes, I, I'm on Anchor FM, uh, which is a, an amazing podcast tool you can do on your phone. And it's Stephen Hernandez Nonprofit and Relationship Fundamentals. So I'll be doing more long-form uh, relationship stuff. Uh, again, basic skills. One once I do a lot of story times, too, on those. Uh, my, my relationship-focused stuff because of the because I've been doing uh, marriage and relationship work for more than 10 years. I have a lot of <laughs> interesting stories with the folks I've worked with. Uh, and then I do more kind of deeper dives in terms of some of like, the, the nonprofit work that I do. So I have like just two uh, episodes up, but I'm going to be doing more in the days to come. Awesome. Podcast life. Everyone tune in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, so and 
from all of that um, and your jobs that you've and your life, um, what has it been like for you as an educator physically and in the digital realm and like working with people of color and indigenous communities? I love this question because it made me think of so so many things, both like good, bad, and different. Um, so some, uh, I, I know you and I have had this conversation. <laughs> Whenever I meet an awesome person of color, one like the top three things I tell them right away is, have you considered uh, getting into philanthropy? Because what's awesome about philanthropy is... That's true. You you've, know, you've told me that. <laughs> Yeah, well, you kind of, you're kind of already there. I know you serve, like, uh, I think, on a board or something. So you're already, like, halfway there. Yeah, shout but, out Hawaii People's Fund. Exactly, exactly. This is what we're talking about. Uh, so one of the, again, it's so opaque, right? It's like, how do you get into this this, this job field? And it's hard. It, it's not easy to get into. It's, it's, very, um, it's very closed. There's great job security, and the jobs pay pretty well, too, when you can get in there. But... What is nice about philanthropy is that you don't really need to go to school for it. Like, there are programs, like, you can go to university and, like, you know, get a uh, bachelor's or master's in, uh, you know, in philanthropy. That's not what they're hiring for. It's like any other job like this. They're really hiring for your experience. So, for example, again, I keep using this this example of you and your nonprofit for retired circus turtles. But (laughs) because of that, because of that, you're in this kind of silly example you would know a lot about probably the natural ecology of Hawaii. You would know about animal conservation. You would know about environmental conservation. You would have had experience as an executive director. You would know about, uh, you know, um, nonprofit rules and regs, how to manage a board. In that silly example, you would already start to have a lot of the experience that the foundations would hire for. Now, the trap that people kind of get into is they think, well, I'm going to be an executive director and then I'm going to transition to philanthropy. As is my understanding, a lot of foundations tend not to hire that way. What they're often look for is people who have like deep policy, legislative, or uh, uh, knowledge experience in various issues. So again, ecology, uh, uh, environmental legislation, uh, environmental policy work, which you definitely could have experienced or picked up on in the community organizing work that you do in real life or my fake example of you as an executive director for your nonprofit, which serves retired circus turtles. So when I really started to dedicate myself to get into this field, I would literally go to conferences and I would attend workshops or, you know, seminars that I thought were helpful. And I would just go right up to the presenters who were program officers and I would just accost them. I'm like, how did you get your job? What field did you have? Like what background did you get into? And what was reassuring is that time after time, they were like, I didn't go to school for this. Like this, this guy who was a great mentor to me, shout out to Nick. Um, he he uh, was, uh, I think he was trained as a musician and he had done a lot of work in the music field, but in the Ukraine. So because of that, he had a lot of experience in the Eastern Bloc, in the politics, the, the, the life and the culture of that part of the world and somehow some way when his local foundation was like hey we need someone who knows about the arts and culture in in the greater russia realm who has this skill set and, and he was like i do like i taught music there for years and i'm fluent in russian with a ukrainian accent that's how he got hired uh, another uh, chief program officer i know 
he was a math scientist. That was his background. He taught math at the college level. And um, the foundation needed someone originally uh, in terms of some quantitative analysis or something like that. Like he, 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 they brought him in as a researcher and they found out that he could walk and talk and deal with people as well. And he eventually became a program officer. The point I'm making with, with people is, so this is a mindset kind of thing too, is like don't get trapped at the idea of, oh, these, these foundations serve us. Like they're, they're, they support us. We should be thankful for it. We should not be in charge of these things. No, we need to be in charge of these things. We really, really do. And we have the experience. We have the grassroots knowledge. We have the community organizing knowledge. We have the cultural knowledge to really shape what these foundations should be doing. And we should be reaching for these for these jobs. They're not easy to get, but we need more people, especially young professionals like yourself, to get into these roles. Amen. And I love that you're, you know, you're, you love doing talks around the world and you love connecting um, virtually through YouTube and now your podcasts and even on Twitter to people of color and indigenous and native peoples because it is a mindset on, you know, really shifting the narrative of who, you know, like, the scheme of things of how you know these realms have been siloed and have privileged yeah. certain people but you know we are equipped as well and our mindsets are changing for the better um how have you incorporated uh your native practices or like you know where you 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 come from and your family has come from um in modern day life um, and especially during these times of COVID-19. That was one of the questions I thought so much about. And so if you can bear with me, I'm going to tell you a story that I, I thought about a lot. So this goes back to my community organizing days. And um, I was uh, working with a great mentor of mine, Pete. Uh, so one of my awesome, Pete Vargas, one of my awesome organizing mentors. And I think perhaps like yourself, when you meet those people, even though it's been years since you work with them, you think a lot about the lessons they tried to teach you. Anyways, uh, uh, Pete and I were organizing specifically the Latino community uh, across Michigan. And um, uh, at least in Michigan, depending on the day of the week, uh, folks can identify as Hispanic, Latinx, Native American, First Nations, uh, you know, just because of where we are. Like there's a lot of people can wear a lot of different hats. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so we, we, uh, we had the opportunity to meet with a community elder. So Pete was very excited to, to introduce me to this person who had been a mentor to him. And so I met this man, and he was older. Uh, he identified as Native American, and uh, and I was very excited to meet him. But unfortunately, it wound up being a very awkward conversation because this elder came up to me, gave me a very firm handshake, and I introduced myself as Stephen Hernandez. And he said to me, like, that's your slave name. Like, that's your white person's name. What's your real name? And I was confused. I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, that's not your name. That's what is your indigenous name? What is your native name? Who are your people? And he was really aggressive about it. And he kept asking, he kept badgering me about it. Um, and it was a very awkward conversation, as you can imagine. Uh, and I felt really awkward and weird um, because like, I didn't know. And, and so and I, I know this, this is like a broader kind of pan-native kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've talked to my father about this and whatnot. So specifically, within, I'm Mexican. So within like the Mexican context. Um, it's very hard for folks to know what their native roots are 
because the the colonizers specifically destroyed that information. Any mm-hmm. of it that was left over was destroyed during the the, uh, the Civil War in the uh, in like the 1917s and onward. So that information was purposely destroyed. So even though I quote unquote like have indigenous features, as a number of people have pointed out to me, I don't know what my indigenous heritage is. But for people who identify very strongly with their native heritage, or when they see me and they, they say, like, I have like a native face, which I always take as a compliment, um, it offends them. It's like, well, you should know. You should you should be proud of that. And I am, but I don't know. you know. And uh, it was a very awkward conversation. But I thought about that so many times since then. And while I think he did it in a really wrong way, and like he came off super rude and aggressive, I do get where he's coming from now as I'm older now. Where it's that idea of you should never forget kind of who you are, where you came from, and why you should be doing these kinds of things. And I know you and I have talked about this as well. It's very, very easy to get sucked up into the the idea of like, oh, I'm super awesome. I'm bringing these resources into the community. I'm a community leader. People are getting this stuff because of me. And... The, again, the dynamics, the colonizer mindset, the power and privilege, especially around philanthropy, is designed around that kind of white savior or the savior mindset. Mm-hmm. And so, again, bear with me. One more story, and then I'll, I'll end with this. No, is that great. when I, I I struggled and it took me three or four or five years to really take it and get to where I wanted to be in terms of career wise for philanthropy, right? But when I, and I'm sure you've had this experience too. When I updated my title on LinkedIn, you know, I'm now working for this foundation, et cetera, et cetera, boom, my inbox blew up, right? All these people that, that I had, you know, worked with or kind of kind of knew or maybe had had a bit of an adversarial relationship with when we were competing for resources as nonprofit people, all of a sudden were blowing up my inbox, sending me unsolicited grant applications, et cetera, et cetera, trying to be my buddy, you know, kind of giving me the virtual glad hand. And that's a real trip. That's a real, like, whoa, like, that can go straight to your head. And I remember very clearly, I had just started in the job that I have now. So it's it's in a specific market, and there uh, this executive director who I remember I had dealt with before, and I didn't really like her. She didn't really like me. We didn't have a great relationship. It was kind of adversarial. But she sent me this very fawning email. She sent me this very fawning message. Oh, you know, I see that you work for, you know, so-and-so corporate foundation now. They're one of our big sponsors. We would love for you and your wife to come. We'll, we'll, we'll comp you VIP tickets. You'll, we'll sit you at the head of the table, you know, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So they're really wanting to roll the red carpet out to me. And I called my wife because it scared me. It, 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 it made me uncomfortable because in terms of how I was brought up, like that's not the kind of stuff I like. Mm-hmm. And that kind of clashes with the culture I was brought up with. But I use this example in the previous one, and I told my wife this, it's so easy. It would be so easy to get used to that kind of mindset. And hey, I'm just going to call it out. In a lot of communities of color, we all know someone or someones who have got sucked up into that. Where the, they're the person who always gets the speaking gig. They're the person who is always out there in front of like the, the press conference. They're always out there cutting the check or presenting, you know, cutting the ribbon or presenting the big check. And that's kind of what they do which is not really anything, <laughs> but they're seen as the conduit to these resources. If so facto, by the people who have privilege and power, they're seen as the true representative of the community. 
And so that's a whole other conversation. Yes. We have another um, that's but, something that for Native yeah. Stories specifically, we like hearing and having voices and, and people on our podcast who aren't the typical representative of their communities because we believe that all indigenous and native voices are important and have a story to tell us. So thanks for sharing that story too. Cause it's very dangerous. It's very, it's so easy to get wrapped up into like, Oh, I'm super awesome. Like this is all about me. No, it's not. <laughs> You're, you are, you are seen as the representative with the for the people who have privileged power. Unless you're sitting there making those choices, you're their mouthpiece. You're rubber stamping what they want to do. Let's be real here. Yes. <laughs> okay, so talking about, yeah, like how you've worked in in many realms, but also have been working with Indigenous and Native folks and people of color through philanthropy, can you maybe give our listeners like three to five key things that that you think would help them reconnect with one another or connect with each other so it it always warms my heart but also grays my hair that there are so many organizations doing the same things and that's a huge problem in the nonprofit field and that's a whole other thing but again use the example of your your fake organization for retired uh, circus turtles in your area I'm sure there are a variety of similar organizations that have similar missions, preserving turtles, preserving uh, the local wildlife. You don't have to do this by yourself. There are a lot of organizations that are probably very similar to your own. If you don't have HR skills, a skill set or marketing skill set or accounting skill set, there are people in your community who do. Um, so that's point one. Point two you want to recruit a board of directors, specifically about for nonprofits, that can help you raise funds and have skill sets. That's true. That does not always mean you need to recruit people who are outside of the community. And I think you know what I mean when I say that. Um, there are people in the community, and that brings other challenges, as, as you know, but there are people in the community who have the skill set that you will need, and you should recruit from them first. Three, It's easier to it's a maybe not easier, it's a cleaner line in terms of getting the resources that you want for through corporate philanthropy than pretty much anything else. There is a lot of pitfalls that come with that, but working from a corporate foundation and having dealt with the other ones, corporate foundations want access to eyeballs for their products and services, right? So again, using your example, your your your, your home for retired uh, um, turtles. If a business wants to market their kiddie pools or their uh, you know uh, anti-allergy product or something like that, and you can tell them at our big annual gala, we will have 100 kiddie pools full of adorable turtles, and you can have your kiddie pools there if you sponsor our annual gala. They would be happy to support your event. Okay, because you are giving them what they want, which is advertising to to people who will buy their product or service. There's a lot of ethical challenges there, right? I think that's pretty obvious. But 
people underestimate, and I'll end with this, people under, will underestimate the power they have in their communities to influence the people who have resources to give to them. And if you don't utilize that power, they will, fi- they will find a loudest voice who often is someone who claims to be from the community but na- may not actually represent the community, and they will listen to them because that person is telling them, as the representative of this community, let me tell you what people need. And they'll steer it to where they, they think it, they need to go. And company X, they don't want to deal with it. They, they don't want to deal with the messy internal politics of our communities. They want to cut a check. That's all they want to do. So don't, ask, don't underestimate the power you have as a community to steer the resources and funds to where you want them to go. Yes, thank you for that knowledge. I love that you bring that up because even within Native Stories, um, we're we're a nonprofit and we have a board and all that kind of stuff. And that's something that we strive to do is look to our community resources first. Um, so thank you for that. Um, Not a problem. So... Individually and for, you know, your work, what, wrapping up here, um, what are your next goals moving forward? So, um, I really want to start podcasting more. I want to grow my YouTube channel. So, uh, I'm at 120 subscribers right now, which is very small, I recognize, but, like, it's grown, it's, like, double in size in the past couple months. So, I would really like to grow my YouTube channel, and I want to travel more. So my my singles uh, my singles and nonprofit workshops are are uh, are really have been centered in the Muslim community. I'm a Muslim myself, so that community has been great to me. That's where a lot of my work goes. But I would love to do more uh, uh, relationship workshops, nonprofit workshops, whether re- remotely or in person, for uh, a variety of other communities. I used to do that more, and I want to do that more again. Uh, people have asked me to adapt the marriage and relationship work that I do specifically from the Muslim community, for example, for the Latinx community. Um, now, I myself wouldn't do this because I'm not, I, I don't identify really as Native, but, you know, just prevent, presenting some information or whatnot, like those things that the Native community needs, I would love to be able to present them more. Um, I want to be more uh, specific in terms of the resources that I provide. Um, so, for example, uh, I am I'm trying to work with some organizations that work with the undocumented community, to help them, okay, if you are a nonprofit that primarily serves the undocumented community, legally, how can you work with the existing power structure to get resources to people who really need it? And there are there's some ways that you can do that, but again, there's the lack of knowledge there of like, well, how do we do that? So I want to be more responsive to the needs that the, the, the communities that I care about have. For myself personally, what's been so frustrating um, is that I have access to all, you know, you see it all the time, always sending you grants and information. Um, I see these things, and they're kind of just thrown out there, right, by the nonprofit, by the job, by the hiring person. But if they're not connected to the communities you and I care about, our people don't know about these things. They don't know how to apply. They don't know that these things even exist. So I want to get that information out there more. I want to grow my channels so I can share this information more to people who can really use it. Awesome. Thank you for your work and congratulations on, you know, all the subscribers. Hopefully this will get you more. (laughs) I hope Um, so too. So do you have any last thoughts or any other, or like any last message that you want to share with the world at this time? 
A couple things. So first of all, shameless plug. Uh, I do my best to share things. What's interesting is that on all the various different platforms we're on, not everyone uses them the same. So there's different resources and different platforms. Um, If people are interested in following me on Instagram, they can follow me at Stephen Hernandez 875. That's all one word. Stephen Hernandez 875. I try to share jobs and grants uh, out there whenever I can. The YouTube channel is Stephen Hernandez Nonprofit Fundamentals. Uh, in terms of last messages, a practical one is get on LinkedIn, keep that updated. Uh, you know, people are looking for you, whether you know it or not, they are. And think about think about the skills that you have and how you can really use them for your community. That doesn't mean that everyone needs to get into a job in philanthropy, even though I think that they should. <laughs> but ser- make yourself available by serving on a board. You know, you can do that. You know, you can get that experience, You can, which is a great resume builder. You don't have to go to school for that. You can bring your resources there and just share things, share resources. Reach out to me. If you have a job that you want to fill or a grant you, you, you want to share out, um, I am always happy to review grants, you know, as a quick thing. Um, that's something I'm happy to do if people want to reach out to me and they connect, connect, connect with me on various socials. But my bottom line is, especially in these times, is don't forget your power that you have as a community and share the resources that you have with those who may need it. Well, mahalo nui and mahalo nui for everybody um, tuning in to Native Stories. If you all want to further connect with us, please do follow us on Facebook. You can search Native Stories for daily updates and all kind of different maya or things. Download our mobile app and listen to us on all streaming podcast outlets. Just search Native Stories. Um, and make sure to share with us um, to all of your ohana, your friends, family, connections, whoever you want. Um, and Native Stories prides ourselves in being your resource. And the more that you share, the more that people will know and Sending lots and lots of aloha and just healing vibes to everybody out there at this crazy time of COVID-19. And I'll see you all next time. Peace.